0: Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as The Success Alchemist. You can find me at the the thewebalchemist.net, and at an Empowered Manifestation, and on social media, Jan Shaw, The Success Alchemist, on Facebook and YouTube, and at Coach Jan Shaw on Twitter. This week's um, radio show is titled November Partial Eclipse, Curiouser and Curiouser, Horrors. And there's been so much going on this week, again, (laughs) that some of the topics I'm going to just whiz through headlines. But there's been some very curious things happening. And some of it involves going quite deeply down the rabbit hole but i want to start with an article by starseed astrology and i've shared articles from uh these guys before and i really like it because they really interpret the astrology in relation to the politics that we're seeing and it's very much related to the great awakening what we're seeing in the in the political world and everything else so um the article reads partial lunar eclipses like the one coming on november 19th at 27 degrees taurus signal a change of season in the house of their occurrence they mark times of transition in this case from one economic order into another through a process of alchemy which god controls We should have no fear about such an eclipse happening in Taurus, the Zodiac's house of economics, but rather optimism and wonder about the fine details of God's mysterious plan. Taurus governs our material life from needs to earnings to expenses, and a time rapidly approaches when God will begin to transform the financial chessboard in ways that will benefit the global economy while weakening the dark money archons. Realistically speaking, global citizens have Goliath-sized enemies within the global financial system. We are facing serious problems with supply chains, inflation and forced unemployment connected to violations of worker rights. The situation is unsustainable but eclipses open new seasons of positive evolution like milestones of light within a dark corridor. Dark authorities around the world will suffer negative effects from this eclipse as the sun will activate it from Scorpio, the house which governs power and abuses of power. Through Jupiter's advance through this eclipse season, I predict that great obstacles will be removed so that the economic condition of we the people can improve. At present, we are seeing the Scorpio-Taurus axis of energy playing out in painful, confrontational and powerfully transformational ways. Essentially, we are seeing mandates, Scorpio versus economics, Taurus. And as of yet, there is no major concession or change, but that's what this next eclipse is for. Notice in the chart above that the eclipse will exactly occur on the Scorpio-Taurus axis the meaning there being that light and the positive change that light creates will be entering the very worst of the clash between mandates and economics. Power will come to the powerless while it is stripped from those who have abused their power. A fateful hand of intervention will force changes that the scorpions resist. I can confirm that this partial lunar eclipse will negatively interact with several globally known names on the dark side. For legal reasons, I won't name specific individuals, but I assure you that many of them are A-list demons behind some of the worst things that we are seeing on Earth right now. The enemies of the global economy will receive crosses of Earth that will severely damage their agenda. We are already seeing an example of this through the implosion of Evergrande in China. With the understanding that communist China is a driving force of harm to the global economy and with perspective of China's chart, I predict a powerful economic decline in China post-eclipse akin to the opening of a black hole. I spotlight the China chart because the CCP is the economic engine behind the communist-globalist push. When the eclipse brings an earth cross into China financial into China, financial contagion will spread from the Chinese economy into collaborative financial structures in the West that are deeply invested in China. Between this eclipse and the more powerful blood moon eclipse in Taurus that will happen in May of next year, I predict that we are stepping into an astrological season of economic restoration that will be born through a death and rebirth process that is concentrated upon the negative elements of the global financial order as they currently exist. With the Atlas and Lazarus degrees involved, it will be profound. And the article then goes on to give insights for each of the um, astrological signs, but which I'm not going to go into, obviously, because if you want to go and look at that article, it's at starseedastrology.com. And you can pick out your own sign and read what it says. It, mine was very interesting, actually. So just to reference a couple of the things that um, are, are covered in this article, we're seeing um, the people pushing back against these vaccine mandates and winning. We've got G workers walking out. We've had Southwestern back down. We've had In-N-Out Burger saying that they will not act as vaccination police. So, you know, people are rising up more and more against these illegal mandates. I also want to share something that um, I've saved from various telegram channels. And this relates to this backlog of um, cargo ships that are currently off the ports of uh, California. And one of the anons was... um, put an interesting um, bit of information out it says go back to executive order signed by 45 no goods will be allowed in ports by countries complicit in election fraud understand now and then there's a series of posts by Brian Cates and he runs um, uncoverdc.com the, um, I'm pretty sure that's the one he runs Um, And he says, you know, every explanation proffered by Biden and others to explain the backlog, we don't have enough cranes, of truck drivers, no wait, it's COVID, etc, etc, is bullshit, right? So don't be too quick to dismiss this. A lot of people already settled on a narrative that the globalist cabal is doing this themselves as part of the Great Reset Strategy. Biden is fully in control and lying about why he's keeping all those cargo ships circling around out there. You cannot reverse a previous president's executive orders involving a national emergency while that national emergency is ongoing. You also cannot reverse the previous president's P.E.A.D.s. And I had to look that one up. It's actually presidential emergency action documents. Biden will never come out and admit his hands are tied. He has to do this. Instead, he and his impotent administration are forced to mumble one lame excuse after another. To reverse Trump's executive orders signed and instituted and triggered into operational status by a national emergency, Biden would have to declare an end to the COVID pandemic. I'm pretty sure one of P.E.A.D.'s Trump signed involved his successor not being allowed by the military to reveal the election interference executive order has become active. So Biden hasn't declared an end to the national emergency because he can't. Also, I'm pretty sure behind the scenes, Trump's executive order on election interference being triggered activated several P.E.A.D.'s Trump signed, that the Democrats in Congress are still trying to get information about with their January 6th commission subpoenaing Trump and Bannon. They will never get the information they're frantically trying to uncover. And there's a screenshot. This is from um, Dave Hayes, who is X-22. Washington, the day he declared the COVID-19 pandemic a national emergency, President Donald Trump made a cryptic offhand remark. I have the right to do a lot of things that people don't even know about, he said at the White House. And Brian Cates continues, while a national emergency is ongoing, any executive orders or PEADs made directly relating to that national emergency cannot be reversed by an incoming administration. Learn how this actually works. Don't just believe shit some media talking head told you. Research it. Those of you who keep asking for explanations about all the weird shit we're watching Biden and Garland either do or allow, I'm telling you what the reason is. They do it because they have to. The military was given standing orders during a national emergency. As long as that national emergency is in effect, and it still is, Biden is not a effing king. P.E.A.D.s and E.O.s enforced secretly by the military, the courts and Congress tightly control him. He has to do certain things and is prevented from doing other things. And nobody in Biden's administration can reveal any of this. He can't publicly say why he and Garland haven't shut down Durham or Weiss. Counterpoint. What you're saying here about Trump and national emergency EOs and PADs is so explosive, if true, there is no way it would not have leaked. Counter-counterpoint. Durham and other US attorneys were spying on some most powerful members of Congress for more than three years via federal grand juries issuing search surveillance and surveillance warrants for all their phone calls, text messages and emails, and it never leaked. Durham revealed last month he used grand juries to subpoena records from Hillary Clinton's lawyers, the DNC, Perkins Coy, Fusion GPS for evidence that will allow Durham to prove in the courtroom they manufactured both the Steele dossier and the Alpha Bank hoaxes before handing them off to federal officials. Durham beat them all in secret grand jury court proceedings that likely lasted more than a year a truly epic legal battle between the witch and the prosecutor, and the prosecutor won. And he, until he dropped that indictment on Sussman, none of that leaked. So claiming there would have been leaks isn't the strong counterpoint you think it is. So if this is true, this is really backing up the theory that Trump is still in control and that Burt Biden is just playing out this um, farcical Uh, pretense of being the president just so it wakes up the normies there was something that I read a a week or so ago which was saying that a lot of the issues um, with this backlog of cargo ships was that um, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California had instigated some um, (coughs) rules or laws, I'm not sure what exactly, I don't have that information in front of me, but basically that was putting restrictions on the kind of um, trucks that could be used to transport goods in California. And it's all to do with the Green New Deal and climate change and everything else. So it's it's something to do with the age of the um, the truck, the tractor truck, whatever you call it, you know what I mean um that because they would have older trucks would have higher emissions so it's really kind of cut off a lot of the uh trucking that would have been happening in california because of these rules and regulations so that's possible but i do like this theory that um Trump is still in control of it all. Let's hope that's true. And the more we see happen, the more we realise we are watching a movie playing out. And that's why, you know, I put in the title Curiouser and Curiouser, and of course that relates to Alice in Wonderland, and we know a lot of the symbolism relates to Alice in Wonderland and down the rabbit hole and so on. So I want to just share with you the bizarre cnn town hall where joe biden was being interviewed and this is from breitbart someone reboot biden eight awkward moments as joe biden struggled through cnn town hall president joe biden was ridiculed as he struggled through another cnn town hall thursday evening serving up multiple creepy and awkward moments for social media to devour The president struggled with the optics of the event as well as the substance, where he admitted he did not have a short-term plan to lower gas prices, refused to defend a monument to President Thomas Jefferson, said he did not have enough time to visit the southern border, and backed mass firings of police and first responders if they did not get a coronavirus vaccine. On multiple occasions... Moderator Anderson Cooper gently steered Biden back to the subject at hand as the president started rambling. At one point, Biden began ranting about poor children of single parents not hearing enough words in the home to be properly educated before Cooper helped him to refocus. And there's a tweet from Benny Johnson, Biden rambling. Anderson Cooper, Mr. President, scolds him for going off topic. At another point, Biden struggled to remember the name of a port in Long Beach, California, despite addressing the issue a week earlier. What am I doing here, Biden asked, as Cooper helped him remember the name of the port city. Biden was also mocked for standing still, holding out his clenched fists awkwardly as Cooper spoke during the town hall. And he also had a moment when he stood rigidly allowing his arms to droop with his head bowed down. And that was when Bongino Report tweeted, someone reboot Biden. At times, Biden had to stop and close his eyes as he tried to finish a statement. And townhall.com tweets, Biden goes on a long rant trying to defend the integrity of the Justice Department until Anderson Cooper swoops in to save him. Biden also made the OK symbol with his hand and peered through it, hoarsely whispering at the audience when talking about tax rates. And, you know, the thing with the way he was using that was it was over one eye, so very much Illuminati symbolism. At another point in the evening, he falsely identified the mayor of Baltimore, who was actually a congressman. Uh, Zach Parkinson tweeted, Joe Biden says he sees the mayor of Baltimore in the audience, Brandon Scott. It's actually Congressman Quasim Foom, weird name, but anyway, whose district includes Morgan State and was never mayor of Baltimore. He also appeared to forget Senator Kristen Sinema's name at one point. She's the Democrat from Arizona who's been... um. Opposed to this um, pork-filled $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation uh, act. So, interesting. Um, He referred to her as one other person. Um, The the RNC published a supercut of the president's town hall on Friday morning. And RNC research tweeted, Watch Joe Biden's incoherent town hall in just 34 seconds so again I think this is optics I think he's operating under um, instruction as we keep reminding ourselves it isn't the real Joe Biden so I think this is again more uh, to wake up the people who voted for him although I still see so many people on Twitter um, you know, saying, "Oh, Biden's so good, and he's he's uni- unifying the country," which is absolutely the opposite of what's happening. Now, some of these could be bots, of course, but um, you know, some people just have no logical or critical thinking skills whatsoever. Okay, so let's go down the rabbit hole with this story about Alec Baldwin shooting two people, killing one during filming in New Mexico. And this is from the conservative Treehouse. Hollywood actor, producer and political activist Alec Baldwin is a man of notoriously intemperate disposition. Prone to angry outbursts and uncontrollable anger, the unstable... Mr. Baldwin is well known for physical and verbal violence against people he dislikes, even his own children. Yesterday, the 68-year-old Baldwin shot two people on a film set in New Mexico, killing one and seriously injuring another. Mr. Baldwin killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins and wounded director Joel Sousa. The unstable actor claims he shot them accidentally and has reportedly said he is sorry to the husband of the deceased woman he killed. And there's an extract from a Vanity Fair article. Details surrounding the shooting, which occurred while a scene was being filmed, is still forthcoming. Santa Fe County Sheriff's deputies were dispatched to the Bonanza Creek Ranch movie set of the Western Rust. October twenty first, twenty twenty one, when a nine eleven caller reported a shooting on the set, investigators confirmed to Vanity Fair Friday. According to Sheriff's Department spokesman Juan G- R. Rios, Mr. Baldwin met with investigators and provided a statement and answered their questions. He then left our agency. No charges have been filed and no arrests have been made. Baldwin's reps did not immediately respond to a request for comment on Thursday. Mr. Baldwin's wife, Hilaria Baldwin, was recently caught pretending to be lifelong Latina in order to to enhance her woke credentials amid the far leftists in their political social circle. She apologised for her lies, manipulation and years of cultural appropriation. Together they have many children and live an affluent lifestyle enabled by a community of supporters who identify with violent sensibilities as an outcome of tribal similarity. And there's a meme here of Hilaria, which is hilarious, um, with some Spanish words. And then there's this image of Baldwin, which was taken, I think, when he was outside the... um, the sheriff's office and he's talking on the phone he's got a mask in his hand and it's the the wording is you're from friggin' boston hillary stop doing that stupid voice and get me a lawyer <laughs> and of course you know we've had the twitterverse going crazy with memes and the other social media platforms like telegram um not only with baldwin but also going back to the um to the town hall with biden oh so many hilarious memes about that um so that you know could be an accident let's let's dig a little deeper shall we so let's start with a tweet from matt couch you can't make this up anymore the husband of the woman that alec baldwin killed was an attorney who works for the firm representing michael sussman that's that special counsel John Durham indicted. Um, And he links to the DC Patriot, um, an article, Alec Baldwin's shooting victim is wife of Latham and Watkins' lawyer, same firm representing Durham indicted Michael Sussman. So somebody replies, are you seriously trying to say that an accident on a film set is some sort of conspiracy involving our current government? What? For what reason would a huge movie and TV star give up his easy life to get involved and put any rush of jail for what? So um, somebody else says, and why didn't Baldwin follow the most basic golden rules of gun handling? One, the person handling the gun always assumes it's loaded. Two, never point a gun at somebody. It looks like a lot of people can share blame, but Baldwin has to bear most of it. He was the handler. And then a post from Absolute Conviction 1776 on Telegram. Why were there live rounds on a movie set at all? Why were they loaded into that gun? Where were the blanks and who was in charge of loading the prop gun? These are the questions that need to be asked. Ever since Brandon Lee's death in The Crow, movie production has become very strict about prop gun safety. Live rounds are usually not even allowed on set. There are safety checks to make sure the gun was loaded with a blank and forced perspective is used to make it appear as if guns are aimed at people when they actually aren't. There's no reason for live rounds to have been in that gun and how the hell did the crew wind up getting shot anyways? What the actual hell is going on here? And then we have the Daily Mail reporting and this is about the crew walking off the set only hours before. A uh, pictured movie armorer and the assistant director who handed Alec Baldwin revolver that killed cinematographer, after telling him it was loaded with blanks, after crew walked off set over safety fears, armorer Hannah Gutierrez Reed and assistant director Dave Halls, were named in search warrant on Friday. Gutierrez Reed, 24 laid out three guns, and Halls picked up a Colt pistol and handed it to Baldwin. Cold gun, shouted Halls, a veteran assistant director who worked on Fargo and The Matrix reloaded. When Baldwin pulled the trigger, a bullet was fired, killing the cinematographer and injuring the director. Gutierrez Reed is the daughter of legendary Hollywood armourer Thel Reed, who trained her from a young age. She recently served as head armourer on a film for the first time, On the Old Way, starring Nicolas Cage. Meanwhile, troubling reports highlight safety concerns on the set of Baldwin's western film, Rust. Production crew on the set of Rust walked out on Thursday morning in a row over safety and long hours. On Thursday, when they arrived to pack up, they found a team of non-union workers waiting to replace them. Helena Hutchins decided to stay on the set and film with Alec Baldwin and the film director Joel Souza. She had been advocating on behalf of her team for better working conditions, but was killed by the bullet. And the thing that's being pointed out as well is that um, Alec Baldwin is not only starring in the movie, he's also um, producing it, I don't know if he's co-producing it, but he's certainly a producer. And the producer is responsible for the safety of any shoot. So he could be implicated on several levels. Apparently there were several um, incidents where people were, you know, the workers were complaining about safety issues related to the use of of guns in the film. The article goes on to mention that... um, There was another safety incident days earlier involving two misfires of a prop weapon. Uh, It's unclear whether Gutierrez Reed, the armourer, had recently joined the production or was one of the crew members who stayed behind after the walk-off. A link in her Instagram bio points to an article about Russ from May suggesting she had been attached to the production for some time. Um, And it goes on to say, it begs the question of who those local workers were, what their training was, and to what extent did they check the weapon before it was handed to Baldwin. Um, Deadline cites an unnamed source who said a gun had gone off in a cabin while someone was holding it days prior to the shooting that killed Hutchins. A gun had two misfires in a closed cabin. They just fired loud, loud pops. A person was just holding it in their hands and it went off, they said, apparently referring to unintentional discharges. Uh, Rust Production LLC did not respond to repeated requests for comment from DailyMail.com on Friday about the incident, but members of the union that represents many of the crew who were involved in the production said they had expressed fears about on-set safety. And then there's a load of um, photographs of the set and everything else there. So the first thing that is very strange about this, well, maybe not the first thing, I mean, the incident itself is very strange. Apparently, it was just one shot that was fired and the bullet passed through the body of Helena Hutchins. Um, but the other thing that I've just covered was this link between Hutchins' husband and the um, being the part of the the law firm that's defending Sussman who was indicted by Durham and Durham has been digging much deeper, he's got all these subpoenas now and apparently there are thousands of pages of documents he's now supplied to the the defence lawyers which potentially implicate the DNC, Hillary Clinton the Clinton Foundation, you name it so you know things are moving on in that respect, but then we've got some interesting screenshots shared from on. Actually, I think this is from Helena Hutchins' Instagram account, and the photo um, shows Helena, and she's got her hand over her face um, with the index and the second finger uh, around her left eye and the weird thing is on the back of her hand she's got what looks like um, these skeletal metal fingers which is really weird and then um, it turns out she is a friend of Asia Argento And Argento was um, Bourdain's girlfriend. He was the one who was the weird chef that supposedly committed suicide. But then, um, even at the time, people on Telegram and elsewhere were highlighting some of the images on uh, Instagram by Argento. And I'm looking at One that shows her with her mouth uh, covered in blood and it dripping down her chin. She's got another one showing herself with a jacket that has Lucifer written on the back. And there was another one. I'd saved these in my messages in Telegram. I'm afraid I made the mistake of playing a video of her and it. It gave me the absolute creeps because it was like um, she was screaming or howling and, and shaking. And it was like she was demonically possessed. It really gave me the creeps. I didn't save that one. I wish I hadn't even looked at it. But there are lots of signs that she's been involved in pedophilia also in um child sacrifice there was one post again i didn't save it but it basically said oh now we've we've stopped eating children and these people who make jokes about this it's just oh, hor- horrific and then somebody posted um a link to an article by the hill This was from three years ago, August 21st, 2018. Asia Argento denies sexual assault allegation claims accuser extorted her. And she was denying allegations that she had a sexual relationship with an underage male saying she paid him a settlement of $380,000 so he would stop interfering in her life. And... So this case does get curiouser and curiouser. And um, something else that was pointed out was that um, Baldwin is known to have flown on the Lita Express to be a friend of Epstein's. The film set is not that far from the um, New Mexico ranch that Epstein owned. So I think um be interesting to see what more comes out about this uh, curiouser and curiouser uh, incident and the people involved in it. Now, the other thing that people are questioning and calling very strange is this um, story about um, Gabby Petito and Brian Laundry, And somebody commented that perhaps... This was all a false flag and and said, well, you you know, you could you could say Brian is brain and laundry is washing and it's to do with brainwashing. Now, of course, we can speculate about anything to do with that. But we know that uh, Gabby Petito was found murdered um, in Grand Teton National Park. And that was, um, I think, beginning of September. And the cause of death was strangulation. And Brian Laundry had returned home in the van that belonged to Gabby, as they'd been touring the United States. And there was an incident where somebody had reported that uh, Laundry had struck Gabby, and there was some uh, police body cam of the policeman talking to Gabby and she was really upset and sounded very much like um, Laundry had been gaslighting her she was saying oh it was because of my OCD and very upset and my fault kind of thing which is typical of somebody who's subjected to a narcissist um, and so just to go back to what i was saying laundry turned up at his parents' house in the van and they wouldn't uh, offer any help in to gabby's parents in terms of where she could be where laundry had left her and so on and then he disappears off into this florida uh park and Nobody knows where he's gone. He's supposedly very keen on hiking. And the FBI and the local police had been searching for a month. So the latest news, which came out yesterday, and this is by Western Journal. Quite strange, Brian Laundrie's parents helped find evidence less than 90 minutes after search began. So the FBI and the local Northport Police Department and other departments had been searching this area uh, for a month and failed to find anything. Um, the parents of Brian Laundry are being eyed with suspicion after they helped find their son's belongings following a month of unsuccessful searches by law enforcement. Items belonging to the former boyfriend and person of interest in the murder of Gabby Petito were discovered at the T. Madbury Carlton Jr. Memorial Reserve and Maya Kahatchee Creek Environmental Park Wednesday, as were human remains, which the FBI reported Thursday afternoon were matched to laundry through dental records. The FBI is grateful, and I'll skip over that, but basically saying thank you to all the help from the police departments. Um, FBI Denver put out a tweet on October 21st, 2021. A comparison of dental records confirmed that the human remains found at the T. Mabry Carlton Jr. Memorial Reserve and Micahatchee Creek Environmental Park are those of Brian Laundry. Laundry reportedly told his parents, Chris and Roberta Laundry, that he was going hiking at the Carlton Reserve near their home in Northport on September 14th following Petito's disappearance, the Associated Press reported. He never returned and a task force of local, state and federal officers began a search that yielded nothing. The search for the man potentially linked to the murder of Petito was cold until Laundry's parents accompanied officers to the park at 7.15am on Wednesday, a dry bag, a backpack and human remains belonging to their son were quickly found. The dry bag, oddly enough, was found by Chris Laundry. Stephen Bertolino, an attorney for the family, told Fox News that the Laundries told law enforcement the night before that they wanted to join the search for their son, so officers met them at the park. A cadaver dog signalled a hit on remains. Less than 90 minutes into the search, the laundries left the park at 8.45am and the rest is still being pieced together. But the end of the saga certainly has people questioning how the parents of a fugitive and person of interest in Petito's murder did in just over an hour what an army of officers couldn't do in a month. Before the remains were identified as belonging to laundry, Bertolino denied speculation that laundry's belongings were planted there by the former fugitive's parents. The loyal co- lawyer called assertions that his clients were involved in anything nefarious, hogwash, when speaking to CNN's Chris Cuomo on Wednesday evening over the phone. Cuomo asked the attorney what he thought of theories that the Laundrie's planted evidence. Laundry family attorney Steve Bartoli- Bertolino says Brian's parents are heartbroken by the discovery of personal items and suspected human remains. The probability is strong that it is Brian's remains, but we are going to wait for the forensic results to come in to verify that. And that's a tweet from Cuomo Prime Time. In nice terms it's hogwash, he said. Chris and Roberta first went to the area and as it happened, They stumbled upon these things. The parents thought that the experts, the FBI and all the tracking teams they had would be able to locate Brian based on the information we provided to specific areas and trails in the park that Brian would like to meet. That doesn't make sense, but anyway. The attorney added, noting that reporters have been keeping tabs on their movements. Bertolino said the area where the human remains were found had been underwater until recently. Fox News reporter Laura Ingle shared a video of the search on Twitter and Laura Ingle, Ingle points out she's not Laura Ingram. Uh, the parents of fugitive Brian Laundry ventured into Florida's Mayakachi Creek Environmental Park today where Fox News Digital saw an officer apparently tell parents that law enforcement might have found something. Despite Bertolino's denial that Brian Laundrie's parents were not involved with their son's disappearance and death, many people are having difficulty believing the family, Bertolino, and even the FBI. I'm going to jump down a little bit. Former New York Police Department Chief of Detectives Robert Boyce told WABC-TV on Wednesday that he found the circumstances surrounding the discovery quite strange. There's just too many strange turns that Chris and Roberta Laundry have been involved in to not believe that something is amiss here, Boyce said. The day the park reopens, they go into this specific area, they go to this exact spot and they find the backpack and they identify the backpack from what I understand and the notebook in this particular area, so it's quite strange. So they go to this one location, this remote location, where it's a path where people go by. And they're being told by the FBI FBI agent that, well, all of a sudden we found something. We found the remains, he continued. It sounds like they got a tip from somebody, to be honest with you. But for them to go to that exact location, it's very, very strange. In that big park, did they know more? Were they holding back? Perhaps more answers will become available as the investigation continues because there is no arguing that the way the search for laundry ended was nothing short of bewildering. Petito was found dead on September 19th near a campsite in Wyoming's Grand Teton National Park. She is believed to have been strangled to death three weeks to a month before her body was discovered. With laundry now being deceased, it's not likely investigators will ever have many of their questions answered. Tragically, neither will Petito's family. So, yes, it's all very suspicious because, you know, the police were saying, well, a cadaver dog um, would even find a body if it was underwater, and this area was supposedly underwater. Um, People are speculating that... um, she may have been, he may have been eaten by an alligator there were only skeletal remains I believe so it's all very strange and uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens from here again but you know people saying, well why is there so much attention from the media on this case when all hell is breaking loose with under the Biden administration and with Afghanistan and the ports and uh, inflation and gas prices and everything else, and also um, <clears throat> trying to distract from the exposure of the election interference the election fraud from you know the Arizona results and also Pima County, Arizona plus Georgia, and everything else, so there seems to be uh some ulterior motive to this um to distract from other things that they don't want the newbies to see and uh, question and wake up so i just want to cover a few things in covid land um some of this is going to be Somewhat horrific. I'm, I'll warn you when I'm going to start on that. But first of all, let's look at the vaccine adverse event reports. And this goes up to October 15th. We're now up to 17,128 deaths, 83,412 hospitalizations. We've got over 10,000 cases of Bell's palsy, over 10,000. Uh, cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, over 26,000 permanently disabled, um, 31,000 plus severe allergic reactions, and that's not mentioning all of the uh, reports. And <clears throat> we've also had more reports of parasites being found in various vaccines Um, this report is from Forbidden Knowledge TV which is an update on a previous one Um, and it's from an interview with Ramola D of the Everyday Concerned Citizen she has an update on the now four different kinds of parasite that have been imaged in the Pfizer and Moderna vials and it says we've previously spoken about the findings of microscopy expert Dr Robert Young who published his images of the contents of the four publicly available jabs using various methods. It was Dr. Young who was first reported to have found found trypanosoma cruzi in the vaccines. And Romola reads recent entries in the VAERS system that corroborate Dr. Young's findings. One tells of a woman who is a regular blood donor and that after her second vaccination, her blood donation tested positive, the Trypanosoma cruzi parasite, the same as what Dr. Young found in the vax, these, para- these parasites are transmissible by blood and organ donation, and they cause incurable Chagas disease. Luckily, donor organs and blood are now routinely screened for Chagas antibodies, and that's how they were discovered. Myocarditis and fluid accumulation around the heart have been reported in many vaxed people, often in the young and athletic. These are known severe symptoms of early stage Chagas disease. Uh, Romola finds the three other cases of people reported in VAERS who were screened for this parasite, two teenagers and a 60-year-old, had all presented with heart problems after being vaxxed. She's then surprised to find it's now becoming routine to screen all vax patients with heart issues for T. cruzi. So I'm not going to read the rest of this, but it's horrendous to imagine that these parasites are actually in the vaccines. Okay, so this is where I'm going to be getting into the horrific stuff. Um, So just to warn you, and this is an article by John Rappaport, And the title is The Vaccine, a Religious Exemption for the Whole World. Yesterday, I quoted extensively from Anna Maria Cardinali's stunning crisis article that concluded there was the murder of an infant in order to obtain the cell line used in COVID vaccine testing. I put out a call to medical professionals to weigh in on her analysis. Here is the basic ramification. There is a religious exemption for the whole world, for all people of faith, every faith. According to my religious belief, the murder of an undeniably live infant for any reason is unconscionable and evil. And I refuse the vaccine. I'm going to just drop down because he does include this article um, from yesterday or from actually wasn't yesterday. It was actually five days ago. For people who missed it, here's my article. Was COVID vaccine fetal tissue obtained by the murder of an infant? With the release of COVID vaccines and then the mandates, we've seen a new resurgence of people attempting to gain religious exemptions. Many of these attempts focus on fetal tissue obtained through abortion. On January 19th, 2021, Anna Maria Cardinali published an explosive article in Crisis magazine Headline Catholic Conscience and the COVID 19 Vaccine. Cardinali details the collection of fetal tissue for the cell line named HEK293. This cell line was used for testing the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Cardinali writes We know that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines do not use any cells derived from abortion in the production process, that is, We know that we are not being directly injected with fetal cells or their engineered descendants, though this fact differs with other manufacturers. We hear that the abortion-derived cell lines were only used in testing, which should somehow comfort us, though it still means that the vaccines from which we seek to benefit depend on the involvement of abortion. We are told that the cell line used in testing came from one abortion which took place decades ago. These things are all true, but they do not serve to inform us fully. What we may not know follows. The most prominent cell line called HEK-293 comes from an abortion performed in the 1970s. It's labelled 293 because that's how many experimental attempts the researchers needed to get a working cell line. Therefore, though the abortion-to-experiment ratio is not precisely one-to-one, Hundreds of abortions went into the project, even if they didn't result in the working line. HEK stands for Human Embryonic Kidney. To harvest a viable embryonic kidney for this purpose, sufficiently healthy children old enough to have adequately developed kidneys must be removed from the womb, alive, typically by cesarean section, and have their kidneys cut out. This must take place without anaesthesia for the child, which, and it refers to the anaesthesia, would lessen the viability of the organs. Instead of being held, rocked and comforted in the time intervening between their birth and their death, they have organs cut out of them alive. There is no way that a spontaneous abortion could result in the cell line as the kidneys cannot remain viable past the brief window in which they must be harvested or that some brilliant researcher found a way for great good to come out of a rare tragedy by making use of a child's bonnie donated to science after it was aborted. The deliberate killing of an unwanted child, a little girl in the case of HEK 293, took place in the tortuous manner it did precisely to obtain her organs for research. The harvest of her organs was the direct cause of her death, prior to which she was a living child outside the womb. I fear that Pope Francis and Pope Emeritus Benedict may not have had this information when they received the vaccines. If we re-examine the Vatican statement that it is morally acceptable to receive COVID-19 vaccines that have used cell lines from aborted foetuses in their research and productions process, we see that it does not apply here. It does not imagine this scenario. To approve of the currently available vaccines, it would have to read, it is morally acceptable to receive COVID-19 vaccines that have used cell lines from living persons killed by the harvest of their organs for use in medical research and production processes but the church's moral teachings could never truly bend so far. If Cardinale is correct in her analysis, not only is the granting of religious exemptions a foregone conclusion, the whole field of fetal tissue research going back many years and involving many pharmaceutical products should be put on trial. The people who have been carrying out the murders, the people who have been using the harvested tissues, the companies, all of them on trial. I hope many medical professionals will take Cardinale's article as a springboard and weigh in on what she is very clearly stating. And not just doctors, all people who are shocked by her conclusions. So far, I see two candid claims to Cardinale's assertions. One, in the fetal cell line HEK293, the number does not stand for the number of live birth abortions performed in order to obtain a functioning cell line. The number 293 refers to the number of passages of the one cell line obtained from one abortion. This difference doesn't concern me. It's not central to murdering babies. And, of course, many such abortions are performed all over the world with the goal of obtaining cell lines for research. 2. Cardinali's claim that the kidneys of the aborted baby must be harvested very quickly is false. The kidneys can survive for a longer period. On that score, I refer you to a devastating video interview conducted by Robert Kennedy Jr. His guest was Sound Choice Pharmaceutical Institute president and founder, Dr. Teresa Dacia, PhD, with over 30 years of pharmaceutical research and leadership experience. She discovered adult cardiac-derived stem cells, has worked on their therapeutic uses as an alternative to human fetal DNA, and leads a team of scientists at AVM Biotechnology dedicated to changing what a diagnosis of cancer, autoimmunity, or chronic infectious disease means to patients and their loved ones. As a result of this work, Dr. Daisha is named as an inventor on over 47 patents. In the first 15 minutes of the interview, Daisha makes it quite clear that infants in the womb for 20 weeks, even 32 weeks, are taken out alive with their blood supply functioning, essential, and then killed by cutting out their hearts or their brains. This is what is done in order to obtain tissue that will be turned into fetal cell lines. Since this act of murder is standard practice, it would appear it was committed against the live baby whose kidney cells became cell line HEK293 used in testing the COVID vaccines. At the top of the interview, Kennedy said he didn't want to get into the moral aspect of fetal cell lines. But after listening to Daisha, he was shaken. He said so. He said they would have to cover the moral aspect. The whole world has to. So I'm sorry I had to share that graphic detail with you. But um, I don't know about you, but I had no idea that um, that was what was happening. You You kind of assumed that... They're getting fetal aborted tissue from humanely um, aborted fetuses. Uh, We know that Planned Parenthood, um, you know, do these abortions where they literally rip the baby limb from limb. I mean, it's just too horrendous to, to contemplate. So I'm sorry about that. But I think we need to know what's in there. And as he, as John rappaport said, this gives grounds for everyone of faith to have a religious exemption from these uh, death shots, as I call them. So we're getting close to the end of the show. Uh, just a couple of things that I wanted to share with you. Um, there were a series of videos given by or created by a guy in Australia, a young guy who's very into exercise, talking about um, his reactions to one Pfizer-Vax. And um, he was told he had pericarditis. Um, I shared with you the 17,000, over 17,000 deaths now, up to the 15th. Uh, also, that also includes a 12-year-old after getting the Pfizer shot and a 17-year-old uh, boy developed multi-system inflammatory syndrome and myocarditis after the Pfizer shot. And yet these speaking, these talking heads are still pushing um, safe and effective. And in fact, there is a good article by children's health defense that's the organization that's run by robert kennedy jr and the website is thedefender.com. and i suggest you go and look at this i don't have time to share it basically saying covid is a psyop and i uh, totally agree with that uh, statement also on a completely different subject hot news is that um trump has announced the launch of a new social media platform, Truth Social. And you can go and register at truthsocial.com so that you're notified when this actually launches. And there have been some comments by the Anons on this because it does link to some um, QPost deltas. And it says this is from, I think it's the Apple store uh i don't know that they have a pre-order option on the android store yet on on the play store but this has got um an announcement on the um on this app that it's expected february 21st 2022 and in that post that was made on 21st of february back in 2018 Uh, It says at Jack getting nervous and the format of this social media site is going to rival Twitter. And I also believe it's going to have um, a YouTube rival, so a video uh, platform as well. Um, This is from The Storm Has arrived 17. Interesting four year Delta lining up with the release of Trump's new social media platform. And then... um, 21st of October 2020, which is the Delta, the following day after the announcement, um, freedom of information, and in square brackets, truth equals end. So this is referring to, you know, the truth will always come out. And um, there are various quotes from, from Trump about truth and nurse deplorable says of all the names djt could have chosen for his platform truth the thing that scares them the most so on that note i'm going to close the show i hope you've enjoyed it some of it was not too enjoyable i have to say but uh, i hope you found it useful and i hope you'll join me for another cosmic creating show next week just as a reminder you can find me at the success successalchemist.net at thewebalchemist.net and at Empowered Manifestation Thank you Nancy for producing and stay well, be safe and bye for now You have been listening to the Cosmic Creating Radio Show with Jan Shaw a production of Cosmic Reality Radio